There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Being prepared is all about having the right tools. The OnX off-road map and navigation app is the best fully functional GPS when you're out of service. Offline maps allow you to access all interactive land and trail data and custom map markups when you're out of service. Your phone's internal GPS gives you full navigation capabilities offline, so you'll always know where you are and how to get home safely. Go to onxmaps.com and use code MEATEATER to get 20% off your membership today. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. This is the Meat Eater Podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug-bitten, and in my case, underwearless. We hunt the Meat Eater Podcast. You can't predict anything. You know what was like a, a weird emotion I had the other day is I was coming back from a trip and 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 I get a call from my wife and she's saying that my boy, my oldest boy, has been invited to go fishing with his buddy and that buddy's dad. And it was like uh it felt like my old lady was going out on a date with another guy. That's what you said. Yeah. Maybe feel did jealous. You get, did you get over that? Yeah, I got over it because I realized it's like, you know, that's like a totally unfair feeling, but it felt like I was getting cheated on. He'd never gone fishing. Outside of like fishing with my brothers, I think a little bit, maybe up at our shack or something. Um, He'd, uh, yeah, he'd never fished with another man. And it like left me feeling, uh, yeah, I was jealous. My initial feeling was like, of course, of course. But in the back of my mind, I was feeling jealous. Then he wound up catching a fish. Brought home the flay. He's all excited. Ate a bunch of it last night. Yeah, it's probably good for him too to uh, have other uh, teachers. Yeah, but I was just hoping they'd get skunked. <laughs> so he'd be like, "If you want to catch fish, you got to go with the old man." But now he's like, "Anybody can catch fish." Did he come home with anything like, "Oh, we did this different," or so and so? No, but he. If you turn around, you'll see that rig right there. That's what he caught. His, that's what he caught a silver on. He caught a little. He caught this uh, little dinker, like twelve inch king that he that they turned out, and then uh, and then he caught a silver on that. Sounds like the dude he was with, which is pretty nice. Like, dude he was with 
the way my kid tells it is the guy says, hey, hold this rod. I got to do something. I got to run an errand on the boat. And the way my boy tells it is the minute he held the rod, wham, a fish hit. But I feel like I got ch- I haven't chatted with him yet. I feel like what happened was he maybe he hooked the fish, right. which yeah, is yeah. a slick move, right? Yeah. To not be like, hey, Sonny, there's a fish on here, but just hand the rod and let him have like the discovery one being on there. So I feel yeah. like he was pretty shrewd, which makes me think he's a good guy. But um, then he brought the fish home. He brought one flay home. He said another family kept the other flay because there was like a couple guys out there with kids. And uh, so he brought one flay home. And I took my Japanese bone pickers and uh, picked the bones out. And then it sounds grody, but it's not, man. You ever just take mayo, like take mayo and seasoning salt and lemon and herbs, like parsley or whatever, and mince it up? Mix it all together and just like layer that, spread that on the fish. And then cook it. And then broil yes. it. Yes. That is good shit, it man. Is. But you tell people like you're going to coat it in. Yeah, it sounds weird. You just got to say I'm coating it in a sauce. Yeah. Rather than saying basically I'm <laughs> coating that some bitch What's in mayo. Up? We need to go back to Japanese bone picker. <laughs> oh, my Japanese bone pickers? I have genuine stainless steel Japanese bone pickers. I mean, looks just like a fancy pair of tweezers. Nope. Looks like the like a fingernail clipper, but, but not, not sharp. sharp. Yeah, you know what's funny too about picking bones out of salmon is uh, when I'm talking about picking bones, I'm talking about picking the the pin bones, right? Like when you when you flay a salmon or you know, any number of fish, you can either like take the flay off with the ribs, then just rib it in one piece. You just take all the ribs out, comes off like a plain, pane of glass, you know. Or you take the ribs off, or you either flay around the ribs and leave the ribs connected in their rightful place, connected to the spine, or you take the whole damn thing off, ribs and all, and then rib it. But the pin bones, um, particularly on a salmon, you, you just grab them with a pair of needle nose. But my Japanese bone pickers are amazing. Uh, I like them. But the funny thing is, what I found is when that fish is in like a rigor state, even if it's just a flay, it's very difficult to pull those bones. Mm. If you set it like, like the it, muscles hanging on, yeah. To it like if you freeze a fish and then pick the bones, they pick easy. If you catch a fish and go to pin bone it right away, it's difficult. You set it in your fridge overnight, it's easy to pick. So if you EKG made it, it'd be easy to pick. I bet if you EKG made it, you the the Japanese bone pickers would work even better. Yeah, but you can use these 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 pickers. You can pick all kinds of fish with them. Um, and the reason I'm calling them Japanese, they actually came with, there was no English on the package. I ordered them after finding out about them. I was looking at a Japanese, how to, a cookbook, a Japanese cookbook that you got to read from back to front. Um, and it's just pictures of how to like cut up every fish on the planet. Mm-hmm. And in there, they're always picking bones. And I was like, what the hell are those? And so I got to sniffing around online and I found those bone pickers for nine bucks. Nice. Nine bucks. Yeah, but it's just one more thing you got to worry about someone losing, man. Yeah. Like when I see my kids with those, it makes me want to kill them much as I like them. Speaking of ordering stuff, I ordered a pair of uh, fishing pliers. Did you? Yeah, I got a new rule where I don't fish with grown-ups who don't have their own fishing pliers. And now I don't backpack with grown-ups who don't have their own pen to sterilize water. I'll probably come up with more shit like this as time goes by, but that's where I'm at right now with being rigid about people being, mainly it's fishing players, man. 
Yeah, it's a pain in the butt when you got to constantly be finding yours, taking them off the lanyard, passing them around. Yeah, and with salt water, you know, like all the stuff's real heavy, so you can't get through it. You know. Yeah. It's not like you like I used to. Use, I wore a groove in my teeth, cutting line on my teeth, but you can't cut my eighty pound. Yeah, braid. I'm, I'm always out there with my pocket knife, cutting through the eighty pound mono, and that's just not safe in a rocking boat when you just got that knife, you know, out and about all the time. Speaking of gear, not speaking of salmon flays, not speaking of mayo, but speaking of gear, what we're gonna do? We're doing a thing here. This is for all the mugs that are always writing in, like asking like super specific gear questions. Um, gear so like I like to think about it more than I really like to talk about it kind of that's kind of true and I've even declared I've even got we used to argue so vehemently about gear that for a while I tried to have it be that I would not engage in any conversation arguing about the merits of various gear pieces but we're going to do a big major gear deal here because Yanni is going on a um extracurricular uh, hunting trip right now. So he's all packed up to go for how long? A week. Yeah, roughly a week. So he's going hunting for about a week with his bow and arrow for elk during the elk rut. Where he's... So a little background here. Where he's going, um, it would... If you were gone for a week, I would expect it to be in the 70s sometimes. And I would expect it to be dumping wet-ass snow on you sometimes. Yeah. I think that's a safe assumption. It's like you will have a morning, not not for sure, but like a very good chance. You will have mornings where you wake up and there's six inches of just sopping wet slush on all your shit. And you will wake up and you will have midday periods when you're moving to a new area and you got to hike three or four miles into a new zone um, when it's uncomfortably hot. Right? Yeah. And I expect you could have, you know, not only that, I was thinking about it because I was thinking about sun protection, you know, for those moments. Um, So you want to be like stripped down so you're comfortable, but you also need sun protection. So, you know, like long sleeve versus sunscreen, what kind of hat do you want for it? But uh, yeah, I could imagine um, not just that, but like maybe possibly finding a a bedded herd, you know, that's on a ridge or something and you're moving in for the kill or you get within, you know, shooting range and then you're sitting there at 2 p.m. knowing damn well that those elk probably aren't going to stand up until 6 and you're just exposed, and you need to be protected because it might be just beating down sun. Yep. Or it could be spitting hail. And another thing to keep in mind, uh, you're kind of in the you're in you're you're, you're dead center. You're dead center uh, in the in a population of about eight hundred uh, grizzlies. So you'll see some little mentions of that in there. Give or take a couple hundred. <laughs> Give or take a couple hundred. No. Yeah, maybe more. Yes. Uh, it's been referred to, as I've been planning for this trip, it's been referred to as the grizzly pit. Yes. Yeah. It's just like, well, we were in a zone not long ago, and we saw six or seven in a couple, what mm-hmm. did we see? Seven. Seven in a few days. 
Um, different bears, all you know, seven different ones, including some youngsters in there. Now, uh, all right, talk about talk like like run through the duds you bring, and this is like like I said, this is like something that people pastor not pastor about, but just ask so much about. And uh, also, before we get into this, keep in mind. The stuff we're going to be talking about isn't just necessarily for this, but this is like 90% what you'd use no matter what you were going to do. Yeah, definitely. I think you just really make adjustments, um, certainly temperature. You know, as, as the year goes on, it gets colder. You're going to expect more snow. So that's when something like, you know, we'll, we'll make adjustments towards that. We can talk about that later. And uh, You might have a shooting iron instead of a bow and arrow. Exactly. And you might have different optics, um, you know, or extra optics. Uh, but yeah, I, I feel like the base is pretty much always going to be the same, you know, little accessories here and there, but the little accessories add up to a lot of weight sometimes. So you only tell, you only told one, like you got one pair of socks no, so that's your I, extra. I, yeah, I broke down my. Uh, um, we'll just jump in with the duds, the clothing, and I broke it down into like what I'm probably going to be wearing ninety percent of the time, and then what's probably going to be in my backpack most of the time. So, ah, so you're only wearing one pair, which makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and I'll have basically one pair as an extra. Do you remember in the old days when you're kids and you thought that like putting more socks on, yes, and then putting bread bags on them mm-hmm. was like going to be like the ticket to warmth? Holy, yeah. Um, Cotton socks, nonetheless. Yep. When you're putting your boots on, trying your boots on, you need to make sure that you can freely wiggle your toes around or else you will be a cold little hunter. Um, so you got one of them on, and then you run Merino, well, Merino boxers. Yeah. See, that's the deal, man. This is like, you know the old boxers briefs thing? Mm-hmm. I'm not a boxers man. And you're kind of stuck, like... Oh, boxers versus briefs, not boxer briefs. No, no, no. Boxers versus briefs. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not a boxers man. I was, but I'm not. And um, that's a real Achilles heel. For you. Cotton. It's the one cotton thing. Hold on. I know that there's companies that make uh, non-cotton briefs. Well, they make those weird synthetic ones. Yeah. Don't like them. Those ones you can like wash in the hotel sink and dry them out real fast. No, don't like them. Hmm. Yeah, man, it's in the kill. It's like the weak link in the gear is that one cotton thing. Yeah, because they certainly. I feel like those um, and the ones we I use and most of our crew uses the first light red desert. I believe they're called boxer shorts, and they come down. You know, you know my long legs, like almost the tops of my knees. Yeah. So I feel like with those, and then if I, you know, pull up a long pair of socks to the bottom of my knees, it's like you almost have a whole second layer covering, exactly. you know, your legs underneath your pants. But doesn't it get hot in there? You know, doesn't that, your scroll that, get banged around the, a lot? The the merino, they're not that loose, right? They're like tight fitting merino will box. They're not loose at all, actually. They yeah. don't fit probably quite as tight as. Um, as briefs, but uh, no, and they actually can prevent chafing, right? Like I don't have that problem because I got chicken legs. But if you got like if you're like a thick thighed fella, where your thighs or are a rubbing. gal, yeah, your thighs are rubbing, that can prevent you know a little chafing down there. Oh yeah, but anyways, yeah, I'm going 
like, and I'm going to really try to stick to this list. I'm actually going to pack probably tonight and finish packing in the morning and then go to, and then I'm walking into the woods tomorrow. But, uh, I'm going one pair of boxer shorts. Like I'm just the really, ones you got on. Just the ones I got on. That's yeah, but that's a good move because people like the more stuff you like, the more clothes and things. I feel like a lot of people bring too many socks, too many underwear, and it's just stuff to manage. Well, manage and like we we had the luxury like along a lot of our hunts where we like recently got flown in and so couple three four even 10 pounds of extra gear it's just going to sit in my tent i'm not really packing it around because when we leave to go hunt or whatever now we're packing around plenty of other stuff because we're working so there's cameras and batteries and and whatnot but here i'm really like there's none of that stuff it's this is purely for fun and so there might be times when i'm actually have my whole camp and all my gear on my back and i might be chasing elk and i know from experience from the first time i ever did that i walked into the woods with i think with a with all my water, well, with I think it was roughly three liters of water on my back, I was chasing elk around with like a 55 to 60 pound pack very quickly. Like after the first morning, I was like, I need to change. I need to like figure out a different system because when you're like you're chasing a bugling bull and you got 55 pounds on your back, you're not like you're not the same hunter as you no. are if you have a, your little day pack on your back. It's a big difference, you know. Your legs are getting smoked because in your mind you're like, oh my gosh, bugling bull, run, 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 and then an hour later your legs are like, dude, <laughs> what's this all about? You know? Yeah, I know that's that's heavy, but I think a lot of guys like just uh, I don't know. I feel like some guys just like overdo it and think about it. They do, but here again, I mean, we can go down this rabbit hole and go on forever. But if you really want to chase elk with your camp on your back and be able to stop at the end of the day and then just be there and not use the time and energy to go back to camp, yep, you have to be fairly light. All right, so got your socks and undies. Got, we got that far now. So you might bring some sneakers, or and or is this an and or? Or you're you're running like mountain hunting boots? I, I think I'm gonna go and, and this is a place where it's gonna be extra weight. But these high top sneakers, I figure for my size, I think they, I just looked up the weight. They're like 14 ounces for a pair of nines. Okay. Okay. So under a pound. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, they were under a pound. Yeah, but you got so like, for a pair of twelves, I'm oh, looking okay. at probably a little bit over a pound. Right? There's not that much more there. Um, and you want them for sneaking up a couple things. Like I've got, um, Morton's neuroma in my feet, which is like the Morton's neuroma. I know you got feet problems. I didn't know what the name, I didn't know they had a name. Yeah. It's basically like nerves getting, um, agitated by metatarsal bones. And it creates like after a while, usually around five or six miles, it can create some immense pain to the point where you just like want to stop walking and take your shoes off eat ibuprofen it's bad the softer the midsole is in a pair of shoes the longer i can go without getting to that you know like the stiffer that midsole is the the more quickly it starts to agitate and it hurts so having an extra pair of sneakers especially if i'm on a trail say i'm packing in or packing out i'll carry my heavy heavier you know, mountain boots on my back, even though that's, you know, four or five pounds back there. Cause I'm no, at some point I'm gonna be running across the side of a mountain on some shale and I'm going to want those. But so I can just bang out five, six, seven miles on a trail quickly, comfortably and not have, my, not have my feet hurt. Yeah. 
And then you put your uh, then you put your uh, bear tooths on. Mm-hmm. And again, oh, something we didn't talk about is I'm going hunting with your brother, right? So yep. we got llamas. Um, so I'm he's already in the woods. I'm going in there to meet him. I need to be self sufficient just in case I, for whatever reason we don't come together. I need to be you know prepared. Um, but something like this, if I was only going by myself, I might consider just not bringing my you know mount hunting boots and just be going in my sneakers. but knowing that once you get way back in there you might hook up and exactly put some shit on the yeah. llamas yeah. yeah so i don't have to carry quite as much food in because he's already carried some food in obviously the llamas will if we kill they'll be packing meat out so i won't have to carry as much out so if i was doing if i was in your situation depending on the weather i would be running the, i would be running uh my schnee's bear tooths and if it was really cold, I'd bring my little down booties, my little down. Mm. It's like, kind of like a sock, kind of like yeah. a thing at, for at night if you want to like stretch out. But this time of year, I would never bother with it. Right. Yeah. And then a merino wool t-shirt. Mm-hmm. So this is all for your, so just for like one's body on a mixed climate hunt. Yeah. A base layer t-shirt. A base layer long sleeve. That's right. Which is going to be the Chama hoodie from First Light. And no beanie cap. Because yeah. that son of a bitch has a hood. Yeah. Not only that, but I'm also going to have my, for my insulation, I'm going to have my, and this is something I wanted to discuss and, and talk about because uh, over the, and again, we get so much experience by shooting the show that we get to try a lot of things and really, th- you know, when you're just on long hikes back to camp, you're thinking about, okay, you know, my beanie's in my pocket. I haven't worn it for two days. And I realized that that was happening a lot to me where I'm just like, oh, because sometimes you get that like earache, you mm-hmm. know, when you've been wearing a beanie too long. And uh, yeah, I just wasn't using it because like, uh, like a lot of our gear has hoods on it, right? So between like the, the wool hoodie on the Chama hoodie, then the Uncompragre jacket, which has the insulated hood, and then a rain jacket, which has a hood. I figure in some pretty darn right shitty cold conditions, if I put those three hoods on, I'm going to be pretty comfortable. Yeah. And I know that the beanie is, it's ounces, right? It's probably a quarter pound, but yeah, I'm leaving it. You know what I flirt back and forth with is uh, running what I call the Remy Warren, which is a baseball hat, and then you just put the beanie over it. Yeah. Because yeah. Remy like has a trick where he doesn't always run a tripod with his binos, but he's got like, like the Remy Warren, the, the move that I call the Remy Warren is a three-part move. One, it's an insulation move. You always have a baseball cap on and you pull a large beanie over that to keep warm. But then when he's running his, when he's using his binos, he holds his hands around his binos and grabs the bill of his hat. Right. And it's, if your hat's tight and you're grabbing your binos and the bill of your hat, it works good. It stabilizes. Yeah. And I think he also, he carries a hiking pole a lot, doesn't he? And uses that yep, to stabilize uses that well. too. Yeah. But like, I kind of do that, but it's also kind of uncomfortable. Yeah. The, um, the hood, the, hood the, 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 the ball cap. Yeah. Beanie combo. And, and then for like, a long time, I wear like, a lot of times I wear like that first light brim beanie. But that's not rigid. That's not like a rigid setup for stabilizing binos. No, that wouldn't work for that. Um, I feel like the only the the real the one thing you're getting from a baseball hat, right, is basically shade for your eyes yes. and some sun protection for your eyes, which is crucial. You got to have something that provides you that. 
But the fact that most baseball hats are cotton, I feel like is a pretty big deal. Yeah, they always they make them all out of goofy shit. Well, yeah. I mean, now they have like technical fabric, you know, yeah. baseball hats. I shouldn't which, say all, but yeah, there's a lot of bad material baseball hats out of there. Yeah. The mesh stuff that chafes your ears. Right. The uh, yeah. But we, I think since we're on hats, I'm also not bringing a baseball hat. I'm going with a it's like a lightweight, breathable it's a boonie hat is what you call it, right? It's like a bucket with a, I don't know, it's probably like a three-inch brim that goes all the way around. Yeah, very, bo- very yeah, boonie hat. Boonie hat, yeah. Very lightweight, very packable, uh, would dry super fast, but it goes all the way around. And I've noticed, especially when we're sitting around in the sun, glassing, it's nice to have that protection, not only on your, over your face and your eyes, but now my ears are covered. Part, you know, Hopefully at least part of the back of my neck is covered. Um, and for me, it's just more comfortable. Than, yeah, I've than, never been a boonie hat guy. I don't like the feeling of that back brim rubbing against my backpack. I don't like when I'm mm. leaning against stuff, having that thing. Yeah, I've right. never liked them. But you got a pad. You got a pad of Gucci boonie hat. Yeah. And again, I'm hoping I got such a love hate with that uh, organization. Right. Yeah, I love a lot of. Yeah. Anyhow, so Yanni's got on base layer so so you got your base layer t-shirt base layer long sleeve in this case a chama hoodie with a hoodie in place mm-hmm. so you don't need to wear a beanie then a third layer is you got a halstead fleece which is a fleece shirt quarter zip yeah quarter zip fleece shirt and that'll cover you for like unless it's raining out that covers you for a real wide array of temperatures exactly yeah Especially with the fact that you can, you know, the chama and the the Halstead fleece, you can zip them down to like your sternum or even a little bit lower. Really, it opens it up and lets you get a lot of heat out. You know, if you need to dump some heat. Oh yeah, I find when I'm going up a hill and you got that on, I think just rolling my sleeves up to my elbows mm-hmm. and then unzipping those couple zippers, it makes a huge difference. Huge. Rather than stopping and taking all that garbage huge. off, you know. Yeah, and another thing with the hood and we you know with not having the hat, it's when I'm climbing up that hill and you're trying to dump that heat, just ripping that hood off, you know, uncovering your head. There's no other better way to dump heat than yeah, just your getting, getting like, everything <laughs> off your head. Takes a big deep breath. And then the obsi- obsidian field pants, which are like not that synthetic-y stuff. No, no, no. They're made out of the same material as the canabs were. Um, they just have a few extra technical pockets on them around the legs. Um, they don't that like the canab kind of has that uh, cargoy pocket that sticks out a little bit more. These are a little bit Pro- sleeker slimmer, profile. Sleeker profile. They move them off yeah. the side. The canab's mm-hmm. got the pocket that kind of sits up front. Mm-hmm. I've always liked them. I like those pants. Right. Yeah, a lot. But um, so yeah, it's a merino wool with like uh like a ripstop material in them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then a couple, like the crotch, the inside of the uh, bottom of the pant legs where your feet can rub together, there's a little patch of uh, synthetic material to give the pants a little bit of stretch and a little bit, you know, wear resistance in the high wear areas. And I, those pants are good for, again, huge temperature ranges. Yes. Like running some LJs with them, you're good for like, in the freezing, below freezing mark. Yeah. I think where a lot of people mess up is they start to think about, um, and I did it for a long time, and I actually learned this from skiing uh, when we used to sell ski clothes, is we advise people to, hey, when you're in the lift line at 8 o'clock in the morning, start cold. Yeah. Right? It's the same thing when you're like at your tent eating breakfast. It's okay. Be a little bit cold. 
like especially elk hunting, it doesn't take but a hundred yards. And like that's the temperature you're going to be working with, you know, and your body temp that you're going to be working with for most of the day, right? So start cold, start a little bit uncomfortable, and, and don't bring that extra layer of clothing, the big down jacket, just so you can have your coffee comfortably, you know? Yeah. And I think people uh, to, you know, for, in place of the down jacket, if you think about it, you could just stay in your sleeping bag a little bit longer. Eat your breakfast in your sleeping bag, then get out, get dressed, and go. Well, we've done in the past too to to because you already you know you got your sleeping bag with you. Yeah, I've spent a lot of time on glass and tits in my sleeping bag. Yeah, you know weather like weather depending. If it's just like cold and windy and just kind of miserable, I'll oftentimes hop in my sleeping bag when I'm just posted up somewhere watching. I'll just do that to stay warm, or like I said, just keep your sleeping bag wrapped around you and eat your breakfast, and then. If you're carrying around a giant puffy, like a giant down pants and down jacket for those like moments in camp, save that and just use your sleeping bag as an insulation layer. Right. Instead of having all the more garbage with you. But at the same time, you got to be super careful that you don't get your sleeping bag wet. You know, even, you know, it's like, yeah, down, a wet down bag is real bad. A wet synthetic bag, you still got good insulation, but it's just uncomfortable. It doesn't work as good, and it's uncomfortable. So you got to like keep your bag dry. But it is. It's got to be really extremely cold before I start bringing, uh, like down, like down jackets and down pants and stuff with me. I mean, like way cold. Now a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart, or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid, and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And, as often is the case, those guys were on to something. Because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in, ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. I want to tell you about an American-made success story and Black Buffalo's award-winning nicotine pouches. Black Buffalo was built by dippers with decades of smokeless tobacco use. Black Buffalo is all about the history and tradition of dip, but they understand the convenience and discretion modern-day consumers are looking for. Black Buffalo's nicotine pouches give you the versatility to consume discreetly, but keep the ritual with flavors dippers love. Mint, straight, and wintergreen, all proudly made right here in the USA. Tell them, Chili. The reason I like black buffalo pouches is, one, they're very discreet. And what I mean by that is I can throw one in and almost forget it's there. And I prefer the mint pouches. So if you're 21 or older, consume nicotine or tobacco and want to join the black buffalo herd, head over to blackbuffalo.com to learn more. You can order nicotine pouches online. They ship directly to most states or check out their store locator to purchase pouches at thousands of retail locations around the country. Black Buffalo Tobacco Alternative. Bold flavor, full pouches. 
Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. Hey everybody, I'm talking here about Montana Knife Company from our very own state of Montana. This company was founded by one of the most experienced master bladesmiths in the world, Josh Smith, who over recent months... I've become friends with, and my God, have I learned a lot about knives from this guy. Just a phenomenal hometown company that makes world-renowned knives. Josh has been making knives for 30 years. You get one of these knives up and open it, it is sharp like something that came from outer space. And here's the deal. They make knives that can be sharpened. You can work on these knives. If you don't want to work on them, you send it to them and they'll work on it. They'll get it sharp phenomenal hunting knives if you want to see them in action we just did uh me and uh john hayes the taxidermist just did a video about how to properly skin a black bear um watch that video and in that video you'll see montana knife company knives in action mkc products usually sell out in minutes of being released which is true but now for the first time They're dabbling with having knives in stock on their site. So right now you can grab yourself a Blackfoot 2.0 or the Ultralight Speed Goat. Use code MEATEATER and you get 10% off your first order. Montana Knife Company. Working knives for working people. 10% off with the code MEATEATER. That's a good deal. So we got the pants couple of accessories I have I won't even I won't be wearing them but I'll at least have them in my pockets at all the times and it'll be a pair of like work gloves style gloves and then um, a merino liner glove and the liner glove is probably more for like a um, you know just to kind of take the chill off or if I feel like I'm getting really close and I just want to cover up the shine the sheen of my hands yeah you know something to do that um, so do you then, practice shooting in those gloves then yeah I haven't done it's a way different feel, yeah, man. That's a good thing we should talk about because in general, I I didn't shoot enough with sort of like like I'm always wearing my bino harness. I never shoot without my bino harness on and my rangefinder. Um, I try to just like wear the hat that I'm gonna be shooting in. But over the last week, like a few days prior to leaving on this last trip, and then the last couple of days, I started putting on like a 20 pound pack with my 44 on my side, bear spray on my side. You know, the GPS hanging off of me, wearing the shoes I'm going to be hunting in, and just really, you know, zipping up, like doing things like uh, putting the hoodie on and zipping it all the way up and then shooting. That feels a lot different. Like I have a kisser button on my string now, and when I have a hoodie on, a lot of times that kisser button doesn't hit anymore, you know, just that little bit of extra material. It feels a little bit different, but I've shot enough to know that, you know, at 50 yards, even if I'm not feeling that kisser button, as long as I'm, you know, lined up through my peep and everything looks good you know i'm shooting fine but yeah that's very important to do is that all this stuff you need to be you know at least hopefully towards the last week before you go on the hunt is be shooting wearing all this stuff you know especially the backpack because it feels different and you really want to make sure that you're just not um impeding like the string whether it's on the the draw or the shot itself yeah you're talking about a buying a horse or bulky sleeves right yeah you gotta experiment with it all uh, so that's why you're wearing the merino liner gloves, and then you got like a pair, like a, a pair of hybrid shale gloves, which are kind of like a not not kind of like they have like work glove elements to them. Yeah, heavy duty leather palm. Yep. 
breathable back, breathable wool back. Yeah, good, like pretty versatile glove. And then I always use one too, net gator. I love those things. Yeah. I like items that have, I was, as I was building this list, I was thinking about how many items I have that have like are multi-purpose. And I was thinking, you know what? That net gator, if, if I just, well, I'm like, all right, I would want to be wearing a beanie. You can wear that thing like a beanie and sure there's a hole in the top of it, but you do it sometimes. You yeah, walk around with your I net gator on your head. all kinds of things. So I use it for its intended purpose as like a warmth device. Yeah. I use it so you're not burned in the back of your neck because it's amazing how many times, like you can burn your neck five times a year. Right. Like it doesn't get, you know what I mean? Just like it doesn't like tan up kind of like how your lower arms do where you just like eventually they just become like impervious to burn. So you can even be out, you can even be out in October and like bake your neck all over again. Right. Or your ears. So I'll just use it like that. Um, war- well, warmth, sun protection. Sometimes I put it up on my hat. When I get like when your hat just gets uncomfortable, I'll put that thing on for a while. And then the main thing I use it for is especially hunting in Alaska in the early season when you have so when you have like twenty hours of daylight or eighteen hours of daylight, I'll use it over my eyes to sleep. Mm. And for nappy time too. So I'll just take that net gator and it's I just kinda of fold it up and wear it like a eye piece and it allows me to it allows me to conk out and sleep good. And then I do it enough where if I wake up and it's kind of like an emergency situation in the middle of the night or whatever, I'm not like confused by it. Like I just notice to like right. lift it up, you know? Yeah. Um, and it really helps me get, uh, helps for, get those 20 minute naps in and it helps at night, especially if you're in an area where in, like this time of year in Alaska, you have these very prolonged periods of like kind of duskiness. It can be hard to sleep. So I just like to block my eyes so I can sleep. Yeah. So I use it for all that and it's not uncomfortable to have on. Because it doesn't add a lot of heat to you when you just get running around your eyes. Yeah, but I think like with these lightweight merino net gaiters, the weight to like gain ratio. There is no weight. Yeah, there's almost no weight, and what you're getting out of that as a piece of warmth. I've had two instances I can think of in my head where I was like in like a, a very cold state. And it's like a like a very important part of the hunt where there's like animals nearby or I'm having to like glass. It's like see where an animal's going, but like you don't want you like you need to be staying there, but you're like very cold, like shivering cold, like it's coming. And I've remembered I've had these gators in my pocket, put them on and put that on your neck, and I think it's almost like putting a beanie on, like just insulating yeah. your neck, keeping that blood flow you know warm as it's going to your head and back. Big difference. Huge. I also, the main one I wear, I got a hole I cut in one part of it. So when I'm turkey hunting. Smoking cigarettes? No, mouth calls. Mm. So the hole you never even notice there. It's a really small hole. And I usually keep it in the back. But when I spin that thing around and pull it up, like if I'm hunting turkeys, when I got, when I'm trying to like work a bird, I'll oftentimes just pull that net gator up over my nose. Right. For camouflage. And I got a little hole cut, so I just swing that hole around over my mouth, and I can take diaphragm calls in and out of my mouth or blow calls, whatever, and put it up in that hole and use it. And then when I'm done, I just drop the thing back down on my neck and spin it around. But fishermen wear the same thing now. Right. The buffs. Yeah. It's a, it's a synthetic-y material. But they wear the same thing now because people are realizing you shouldn't just be, like, scorching your skin all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sunscreen or not. Yeah, so pull that thing up to block your ears. It's a great, it's like a thing that not many people use, but it's like a real gem of a, of an item. And you're not running any gators. No. I wouldn't either in that area. One, it's, it's, for, for that kind of stuff, it's too loud. 
Yeah, usually gators for me are like a uh, deep snow. Yeah. When I say deep, you know, if I know I'm going to encounter six plus inches, I'll probably put on gators. Or if you're in an area that's just like like tons of creek crossings or lots of like mucky hell holes and stuff, they're right. pretty nice for that reason because when your pants are all wet on the bottoms, it just gets annoying. And if you want to climb into your sleeping bag, you got all that extra water. So when you do it like in wet snow, when it's all just caked in, it's nice to take that off and have dry lower legs and just slip in your sleeping bag mm-hmm. at night and not to worry about taking your pants off. Yeah. And that's a good point to bring up too. Something that I'm going to start doing is if I'm it, cause I'm just going to have rain pants, right? So if we do have like a super dewy morning or if we get that six inches of wet, shitty snow that you were talking about, when I'm putting on my rain pants, I'm going to go out in very wet conditions. I'm going to make sure that my pants are rolled up, tucked up, my, my, the pants underneath my rain pants somehow. Because I feel like what happens is that that moisture like hits your cuff like you're talking about. And it just, it just it wants to travel. It wicks to, up. Yeah, it wicks up. And so then it goes to your socks. And your socks wick it. And all of a sudden that, you know, even though you're completely covered, that moisture is like gone up your pants to your socks and then down into your boot. Yeah, you it know? moves. I never enjoy having gators on. Like when I put gators on, I'm 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 only I'm playing the long game. Right. Like I'm always annoyed by them. You know, I'm annoyed by the way they feel, I'm annoyed by the noise, but in certain situations it's so nice to pull them off and have your legs dry from the knee down when they would otherwise be full of mud, snow, or whatever. So yeah. I, I tend to carry them more than I put them on. And it's one of those things like at the last minute. Like, if I'm going somewhere, I got my duffel, and my gators are in it. At the last minute, I'll oftentimes leave them in my duffel, and they don't make the final. Like, I can't trim them out in my garage. Right. <laughs> like, I can't cull it in my garage, but yeah. I can cull it at the last minute before loading my pack. I look at them like, really? And then a lot of times, I'm like, no. Yeah. It might be something that I have in the truck too. That'd be it'd be good. It'd be smart. I mean, I know the what the weather's coming up, right? I've got like a couple sunny days, and then we have some rain days. And there's actually now they're forecasting a snow day. Not a lot of accumulation, but there's definitely going to be some moisture. Um, but yeah, if I knew that I had to hike in, whatever two three hours, and I'm looking at doing that through four five six inches of snow. Probably be worth it. Even if it was a couple inches of snow, it might be worth to put them on. Yeah. Just for the long game. Uh, all right. So in your so your pack, you got a pack. This will give you a sense. Like, this sounds like a lot of stuff that we're going to be talking about, but it's not. Because you got a, 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 a 3,300 pack. Mm-hmm. Explain that whole deal. Yeah. And it's the same pack I lo- used last year. And I, know, I know it works for this. So um, the pack is a Stone Glacier... Solo 3300, I believe is the name. And um, so it's 3300 cubic inches. Um, it's slim, trim, tidy. Um, the pack itself only has one pocket built into it. And then you can customize it by adding their little pullout pockets that come in different sizes. So there's little attachment points like on the backside of the, um, it opens like a clamshell. And, uh, on the back side of that, there's a couple attachment points, and then um, on the what would be like the what faces your back, the back panel on the inside, there's a couple attachment points too for these super lightweight. Um, what would be the fabric? Oh, the 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 little nylon pockets. Yeah, nylon, nylon I yeah. guess, right? And um, yeah, ultra lightweight. You know, it just gives you a little bit of organization. Um, 
but uh, for a couple little like loose things, and we'll talk about that later. But uh, anyways, yeah, it, it's not big. Um, the way I can do all this is that the all my gear will fit into the pack itself, and then they have that system, the load shelf system with their um, dry cell bag that fits in that in the load shelf which basically fits between the pack and the the frame right so yeah, as and it's like a little bag it's not quite like a dry it's not like a submersible dry bag but it's like a yeah i think the only reason it's not submersible is because they the seams aren't taped okay right yeah so there is some breathability yeah definitely like a rainproof yeah like a, like a rainproof bag but not like a rubber not like a, we're not talking about like a, what I'm trying to say is not like a rubberized dry bag. No, no, no. It's light. It's like it's pack light. it's like pack material. Yeah, with a roll top. Yep. So what I'll do is on the way in, all my food will go into this um dry cell bag uh, between my backpack and the frame and um I'll pack it in. And what's nice about that is as soon as I get to camp, just grab my P cord, pull it up into the tree. And it's, it'll act as my bear bag, you know, for hanging food yep. until, you know, I, hopefully we get a kill and we have to use it to pack meat out. Um, so once I do that, I'll also probably, if we're, you know, hunting, like if we're going to be coming back to camp, you know, I'll dump all my camp gear, my cooking stuff and whatever. And then that 3300, it cinches down so nicely that all of a sudden you go from, you know, basically carrying in a whole camp and you cinch it down to where it looks like a kid's you know school day yeah. pack that's the thing about that's the key about these packs is like if you ever trail a bunch of elk through timber let's say you're trailing you got like five six elk going down through timber and you notice that one of those elk keeps peeling off away from the group and then coming back into the group and peeling off away from the group that's a lot of times a bull who knows his antlers can't fit through the gaps in the trees so all the cows can go screaming down through, and he's always like planning ahead about where he can actually go and not go with a rack that's like the widest part of his body. I've used a lot of packs. There's like a lot of packs I like, but a problem with pack, like I don't like a pack for for unless I'm hunting like open open country. I don't like a pack where the pack is any wider than I am. Yeah, because you just never, you, unlike a bull elk, you never get used to having things on you that are wider than what you're used to. It's so you wind up making a lot of unintended noise, going under logs, through stuff, and you're just banging that thing all the time. Not just banging it, but hanging it up. And these packs are actually like if you got a dude, like like the way the stone glacier packs are. If a guy's wearing one and looking at you, you don't see the pack when it's snugged up, but you don't see the pack bulging out in weird angles. No. Not at all. So it allows you to kind of move through without having to constantly be like remembering what the hell is going on with your backpack. Yeah. And like this pack, like I said, there's only one pocket there. There's no lid. Um, so there's nothing flopping. Once you cinch yeah. it down, it's just slim, trim. Nothing's going to snag. Um, there's just, there is nothing to snag. Yeah. There's, there, there's like, there's a lot of good packs. No pack is absolutely perfect. Um, but I do like these freaking packs a lot, man. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, the pocket thing, when it's all snugged up, you like, you love looking at it, how tidy it is, you know, but it's like this, like, like these trade-offs, you put these big sleeve pockets on the outside, everything. It just, you get like a bulkier pack. that's mm-hmm. more f- stuff floppy and hangy. It seems like you're organized, but again, the trade-off is when it's all loaded up, like how tight and confined and quiet is that thing? I remember reading a book about the LERPs in Vietnam, the long range reconnaissance patrollers, and it would say that before they would go out, 
they would load all their gear on and then jump. Right. And you would keep jumping, and then they would use electric tape to to tighten things up and keep things so they didn't rattle or bang. They would keep jumping until they could jump and make no noise. And with a pack, with these kind of packs, once you snug them down, you can achieve that like noise-free jump that you're never going to get with a lot of loose, floppy pockets all over the place. Yeah. So again, it takes you. You got to kind of rethink how you organize your gear if you're like a big time pockets guy you got to rethink like how everything's going to go and the thing i find with backpacks too is i'll use a backpack for a couple years and then my whole system gets conforms to the pack yeah so then when i try a new pack i might recognize some things i like about the new pack but then i kind of like dislike the pack for a minute because i got to redo my whole system right down like when i go to brush my teeth at night right if i've been using the same pack for a couple years like i just know like toothbrush toothpaste yeah. or whatever within it here's where my like if i've got a paper map where's that where's all my stuff and then i get a new pack and i get frustrated and i blame the pack but really it's just getting a way to get dialed in that's why i hate like one thing i hate changing around all the times i hate changing my pack all around when i need a new pack i'm trying to find a pack where i'm like this is gonna be my pack for years and i'm gonna hunt everything with this pack just to have it be that i just know where everything is yeah you know where it all goes no, there's a lot to be said for that because it turns into efficiency, you know. And if that mean if it costs you the, it might cost you just thirty seconds one time when you're going to pull out your spot and scope and your tripod. But all of a sudden that animal walked over the ridge, you know, and all of a sudden all you needed was one glimpse to be like, yes, that was a bull or it wasn't a bull. Yeah, we're not going over there. Yes, it was. We are going over there. And yeah, having that system dialed is there's you know times when it's crucial. All right, let's go over to packed clothing. So you bring socks to put over your boots. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do this year. because I, Over your mountain boots or over Well, your, the mountain boots especially. I probably wouldn't need them in... in stocking socks or socks? They're, they're basically just a giant pair of, of wool socks. Like, not with a stocking pad no, on no, no. fleece pad yeah, on the bottom. I'm just going to pull them over. Have yeah. you tried it? A uh, long time ago, yeah. Last time I went quiet, we used the those... Uh, what are they called? Sneak ease, yep. I believe. Yeah, um, it's like a it's, ninja boot. It's like a, it's like a, yeah, it's a thick fleece kind of sole with basically just um, bungee cords going over the top of it. And you put your foot into the bungee cords, cinch it tight. Oh, those things, yeah, yeah, yeah. Those things are incredibly, you know, quiet and soft. Oh, but I just feel like again the trade off, like it's only going to be used for where I'm, like, I have something like bedded, and I got to like sneak in. If you were right? stalking something on a gymnasium floor, those are great. Exactly. They suck when it gets has if an you're angle on a, to it. Yeah, you're on a 45 degree pitch full of a bunch of rocks and stuff. They are not stable. Right. They're not stable. Yeah, and it makes a huge, huge difference. Um, we've talked about this before, but in Arizona, it's like a lot of times you're chasing. Um, this is down in uh, Unit 10 where I had this experience, but you're chasing elk across stuff that has you know, because millions of uh, like pebble-sized rocks that sort of just like rub against each other. Yeah, you know it, what they look like is they look like pumice. Yeah. They're a pumice volcanic rock that's like hunting on cornflakes. Exactly. It's like, it's like the cornflake version of rocks. And when you're in a heavy-soled mountain boot, like it, I think for humans, it's sometimes imperceptible. But I noticed that, like, one day I was like, you know what? I'm going to, my, my feet, is it, it was a, I'd been in the woods for a while and my feet were starting to hurt. I'm like, I'm going to go hunt in my running shoes today, like some trail runners. 
And I just remember like coming in on some elk and being like, oh my gosh, like how much quieter am I right now? Just because it was like a soft, malleable sole that was sort of sucking up the rocks as opposed to pushing against yeah. them. And that same morning I noticed, I'm like, I think what happens out there is that the bulls keep bugling, right? Like they've managed it to the point where like it's like very hot, good rutting action because it's very even like numbers, like bulls to cows, right? They keep bugling. But as hunters are moving around and closing the distance, the mass of bugling sort of just kind of keeps this buffer away from you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't, you're like, oh, the wind's good. Everything's fine. But I think there's just that, like that little bit of noise where they're like, whatever that is over there that's making that walking noise, it doesn't sound like us on the rocks. Let's just slide over a little ways, you yeah. know? And as soon as you take that away, whether it's by going running shoes or putting on some sneakies or those, you know, like socks over your boots, um, I think it makes a difference. What I'm thinking about trying in the future is I'm thinking about trying my uh, just minimalist, I think they're actually called minimalist, minimalist sneakers. Mm. Because there you could walk on a steep pitch and have a lot of agility. It's not like running around and like, like those things that go over your boots that are unstable. It's like walking on tussocks almost. Yeah. But yeah, I might try that in the future. Or those little ninja boots. Not the bungee kinds, but the little ninja socks, you know. Yeah. No, I think those little minimalist shoes would, would work well for stalking. For yeah. Sure. I, feel like, I feel like that might be the way to go. I'll probably bring those down to Old Mexico and try them out because that's a lot of that gravelly crap down there too. Right. Um, okay. So you run a dry bag to keep all your extra gear. Yeah. And again, all like your packed a, clothes go into a dry bag. Yeah. Like a super lightweight. It's basically a stuff sack, but it's waterproof. Um, and in there will be an extra pair of socks, a pair of base layer bottoms. So one pair, one extra pair of socks. So you have on you a total of two pairs of socks total. for one week of hunting. Yeah. Yeah. If I had to, I mean, if they got so crusty and crunchy, cause I feel like that's what happens after a they while. They slicked up. Yeah. Yeah. That if I really had to, I could probably wash them in a stream or something and hang them up and in a day they'd be dry. Hang them off the back of your pack when you're hiking around. Yeah. Um, and they get back nice again. Yeah. And I feel like if you do the right things, like take them off at night, put them into the bottom of your sleeping bag. So the, so your sleeping bag sucking the moisture out of them. Don't just roll them up and stick them into your boots, which have a lot of moisture in them that you're, that should be, you know, coming out, keep that whole system dry and you're going to get a longevity out of it, you know, b- before it's those socks start to get slicked up, crunchy, like not comfortable anymore and the thing to keep in mind if you're hunting an area where you got to cross bad creeks bad you know fast slick rock creeks uh put your extra pair of so- take your boots off and don't cross barefoot though because you you know you slip on the rocks and bang your feet all up but cross in a pair of wool socks and then hang them out to dry out but that way you just it glues you to the rocks man it's like wearing felt sole waders yeah so- it protects you yeah, I mean, it lets you stay on top of the rocks instead of having your feet slip down between the rocks, getting all messed up. Base layer bottoms, maybe. Yeah, I think they're going to go because I'm looking at the weather and it's looking like it could be cold enough where I could be hunting in those, like actually wearing them, you know. I don't want to, again, like you're saying, I don't want to have those clothes that are just for a few minutes or you end up packing them around the whole time, but I feel like the base layer bottoms, it could be cold enough. And what I was thinking about is if somehow like my pants, my regular field pants get soaking wet and I need time to dry them out, 
you can wear base layer bottoms and your rain pants, and that's a very comfortable system to go out and do your thing in. Yeah. Right. It's not as quiet as just wearing your field pants, you know, but it's um you know, to hike out that way, you know, you can vent your rain pants if it's getting too hot, but it it's it's a comfy way to go. And I'm old enough too now where if I had to, I'd probably just I'd w- skip the rain pants. Just wear your, you know, long john bottoms and go hiking like a kiwi. Yeah. It's how New Zealanders hunt. Yeah. Shorts and long johns. Yeah. Uh, so puffy pants, like a synthetic puffy pant. If it's super cold, you'll add a synthetic puffy yeah, pant. Yeah, so I'm not bringing it on this trip. It's just not going to be cold enough. And then a puffy jacket. Mm-hmm. Yay or nay? Oh, yeah. That's coming for sure. And then you got the uh, boundary storm, pint, storm tight rain pants and then the lightweight rain jacket. Yeah. So like a light, thin layer rain jacket. Yeah. That's a risky move, but they do pack up real nice and tight and small, man. Oh, my God. And if you're on the fence about a rain jacket, go with a rain, go with like, rather than go no rain jacket, go the lightest little rinky dink rain jacket you can find. Yeah. It's a bold move to go no rain jacket for a week. Yeah, super bold. You know, you're going to have, you're going to have to do something, whether it's an umbrella or a tarp that you're constantly setting up. But yeah. It's a very bold move because all it takes is one storm and it's like, sure, you're like, oh, I'm going to go hunt underneath a tree. But if it blows and starts coming on there sideways, you're going to be miserable. And then uh, one thing I don't see here, you don't use a pack cover. Well, you do, you, you're, oh, you, yeah. You use pack cover. Yeah, that'll, that'll be in there for sure. Like a, fitted, like a fitted pack cover from the manufacturer of the backpack. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no tent. No. Just tarping it. Just tarping. 10 by 10 tarp. 10 by 10 tarp. Uh, Keep in mind when you're sleeping under a tarp, if you're six feet tall, don't be like, oh, I need a six foot tarp. You right. got like, like a 10 by 10 tarp. Once you put a pitch in it, it's still like there is not a ton of room to be off center under that tarp. If it gets bad, if it gets bad. Yeah. And I like, I like the whole bush craft of using the tarp. Mm-hmm. Like I've got a couple pitches down. I set one up last week to cover up our meat. And um, we had some amazing wins. I mean, we definitely had gales that were hitting, I don't know, at least 50, maybe 60 plus. And uh, what ended up happening is this new, this it's a Colorado, I think it's called Colorado Tarp uh, from Seek Outside. But it has like the little tighteners already built in. Yeah. So you don't have to run like knots that, you know, you used to tighten. And the cord that I had was just a little bit too skinny. It was holding just fine when it was blowing 30 and 40. But as soon as it, the hail hit it with 60, I think that the, the, the line just slipped through the tensioner itself. You know, yeah, I, had yeah, like a, I had like a two mil cord just trying to be light. I think if I just bump up to three mil, like it would take that. But I'm not expecting that kind of wind on this trip. You know what I do that no two thoughts on when you use a tarp instead of a tent. What I do that no one, else, no one agrees with me on is I make a six inch loop of bungee of small shot cord on every corner, every, every guy point on the tarp, I put a bungee in there. Mm-hmm. The reason I do that is I'll use mine a lot. If you're perched up somewhere glassing for the day and it starts raining or snowing, I'll often just put my tarp up just to give a comfortable place where you can stay dry and warm under there. Yeah, I put bungee on all my corners because I can just wrap those bungees around little branches, chunks of brush, rocks, and set it up very fast without running around trying to find stuff to tie off to. The other thing is when I do tie it off, I tie to the bungee. And that gives it some, 
you can pull it tight, but it still gives it a little bit of flex, which keeps right. the fabric from giving out and tearing or other problems you might have with trying to keep it tight and nice. And it keeps some of that flap noise down when you got a little bit of stretch in there. So I like to do it. I try to turn everybody else on to it. No one, no one else runs them, but I always put the bungees on mine. And when you do pitch out a tarp to sleep under, keep it low. You don't need to have your tarp. Like if you're sleeping under, not like a hangout tarp, but a sleeping under tarp, you don't need to have it way up in the air. You should crawl into that thing like how you crawl into a tent because then you don't have stuff blowing in from the sides. Right. Yeah. No, I think uh, like if, if like someone else and, my, and me, if I someone else would under the tarp together you'd probably have to go to, to like an a-frame a-frame style pitch right where you have a ridge running from one pole to a tree or between two poles um just to give yourself the room but if it's just me i'll run what's called like a diamond pitch and so i'll run off of my one of my dragon poles or a tree is even better because you can get a little bit higher and then basically run like a diagonal ridge from corner to corner to the ground and then your two other edges just sort of like come in and conform to the ground so you've only got one end that's open and so as long as you pitch properly and don't have that open to the wind you know you've got amazing coverage and you can throw a fire you know right there if you want to and stay dry and nice like you're always going to be open to the elements you know from some angle um there actually are pitches where i think you can completely close off with a tarp i've just never done it um oh yeah there's like yeah there's like a if you have a huge tarp there's a way that you're laying on the tarp you got a back wall you're laying on a little bit of the tarp for ground cover mm-hmm. you got a back wall that comes up it goes across the lid and drops down as a as like a wall yeah but that's yeah. a huge tarp yeah but you see it in old timey books and you still have two open ends though wouldn't you yeah still got two open ends yeah but you position it for the win because here's the thing people don't like when you're rigging up, like for instance, Oliver's Meredith guy took a picture of it. When I drew my Copper River Buffalo tag years ago, I remember I had a setup where I was sleeping under a tarp and I was actually burning buffalo chips in a little fire. And I remember reading about that when, guys, when you're setting a tarp up and you're actually heating, you know, you make a fire for warmth. In the old days, you didn't make it be that your tarp shielded the wind, you want to draft through it. Right, so kind of so across. You could, so you could get heat under there, but not trap all your smoke in there. Right. And I remember getting up and thinking how much I liked the looks of how I had my tarp and my buffalo chip fire. I snapped a picture, walked over the edge, and shot a buffalo. After really coming to grips with the idea that I was not going to be getting one. Um, but yeah, that's, that's like a... You know, even like uh, when you're reading really old shit about like old pioneers and old explorers, I mean, they use tarps all the time. That was like their their tent right. material. And they got way ways of pitching them. Um, there's a book. God, what's that river book? River now. Son of a bitch. You know the author? No, but it's a guy in Canada. Uh, I can't remember. Hunting book? He, they do a lot of hunting, a lot of trapping. River Dece- Deception. Uh, I can't remember. Anyways, there's a great book where th- these guys, it's in the 1920s, and big fur boom going on, and they're trapping in Canada and working the rivers trapping, and they always got to get to their site because they're, they're out in the middle of the winter, and 
he describes their tarp setups. They got to plan two hours every night to get their tarp setups in such a way that they can survive, survive. the night. Yeah. Using, not using tents, but making, making, setting up tarps in a way that you can burn wood to try to keep from freezing to death. And you always had to plan on that two hour setup. And these guys weren't running around with headlamps. Yeah. So it really cut into your day. Right. But I do like tarps. It's like a, there's like a tidiness to it that you just kind of like, man. Yeah, and, and a uh, a versatility, you know. And again, you got to be ready for, you know, it's fine and dandy when it's, you know, 70 during the day and then it's like a starry 35-degree night with zero wind. It's like, who cares? Don't even set the tarp up. You can just like sleep out, right? Yeah. Um, get your head in, into the hood of your sleeping bag. But if it blows and then there's moisture coming in, um, yeah, you better like have like like some experience and a plan. And one of the things that's gonna that's allowing me to do this is I'm going to use a um, Nemo sleeping bag that has basically like a um, like what they call like a bathtub floor and a tent. It basically has that built into the sleeping bag, so you don't have to bring a ground pad. It's built in, or I'm sorry, a ground sheet or tarp that's built into the bag. And then it kind of curves around your feet. So a lot of times, like especially tall guy like me, you know, your feet are sticking out at the end of whatever. Or even if you're in a tent, your feet are touching like the the tent wall, which can cause moisture to come in and get your bag wet. Oh yeah, man. So that sort of is protecting me from you know the the moisture that you didn't plan for. Um, and this is also a uh, the 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 sleeping bag system is built so that you can slip your pad into the sleeping bag. So it kind of sits between the bo- the bottom insulation and then that uh, bathtub floor that I was talking about, the waterproof floor, um, which uh, is pretty slick. Keeps you on your, uh, keeps you on your pad. Yeah. You don't slide off. Um, final thought on tarps. If it's bad mosquito time, like, you know, mm. yeah. You know, if you're hunting like spring hunts or you're hunting late summer hunts, it just, you got to plan on that too. It just doesn't give you a break. No. If you got bad black flies, bad mosquitoes, and you and you go on the tarp, it's like sometimes when it's so bad, you know, particularly in Alaska and other places too, it just gets so bad. It's hard to like, it's hard to maintain your sanity. Yeah, the bugs, and it is nice to have a mesh, when just we something were, to now and then get a break from that shit. Yeah, man. when we were up at Bucks, we slept out a bunch. My brother and I, I believe, were sleeping out, and. uh well, it worked pretty good. And, I was, and again, had it been too hot to sleep up the sleep, to zip up the sleeping bag, it would have sucked. But we were just zipping up and then basically putting on a head net, mm-hmm. and that worked. I had a thermos. Like, I had a thermos cell on that trip. Oh, you did. Yeah. But you still need something to. Well, it depends on windy it is. Yeah. Uh, here's the thing I don't agree with you on, but I know you like to use them. Is you use trekking poles. Mm-hmm. Well, again, a couple things I need them for. Right. Um, need them to build to pitch a tarp, possibly. Use them for hiking, especially when I got meat on my back. I think it, you know, saves your knees, saves your back, takes the stress off your joints. Um, and I'm not bringing a uh, tripod, so I'm going to use that pole for one of the poles for glassing. Yeah, that's what Callahan does too, right? Yeah, yeah. And then, so we already covered this. You got a Nemo uh, insulated pad, tensor twenty pad, and a Nemo Argali fifteen degree bag. Mm-hmm. No ground pad because your sleeping bag has a waterproof membrane. Yeah. 
You bring your little blow up pillow? Oh man. I don't I mean, would not. Yeah. No, I'm not going to. I would not. But I gotta say we use these I think they're called the it's called a philo. I, I'm guessing they took like fleece and pillow and made up this word called philo. <laughs> Dude, it's a it's it's but a like, dream come true. Oh, it's so nice. But like, it's just like on a backpack trip. No, exactly. And again, it's ounces. You're probably looking at, I don't know, not a half a pound. It's bigger than your fist. Yeah, barely. No, I think when you put it in a stuff no, sack, it's about your like it's your bigger fist. Than your fist. Steve's giant fist. Po- um, yeah, it's bigger than a powerful fist, yeah. Uh I love them, don't get me wrong. It's like phenomenal. Um I hate myself for getting to that point in life where I where I have like a little pillow, a blow up inflatable pillow, but in this case, I'm not that old yet. No, if you're going to have to carry around all in your it's back. It's a base camp thing. Yeah. And this is what I do. This is uh um how I build my pillow and which was nice to have the Nemo pillow because I didn't have to spend the five minutes or maybe it's only two building my pillow. It's just nice to get in your bag and just go to bed. Not have to make a pillow. But what I do, and it works good because it's as I'm taking off my layers, but I basically would take my puffy jacket, cross the arms, fold the hood in, and then sort of roll it up. So you kind of have this like long rectangular roll. And then I take my next layer off, which is usually my fleece, and I slide it neatly into that fleece all the way up to where the um, arms come out, like to the shoulders. I flip it over, and then again, cross the arms. Or no, I'll, fl- I'll flip over the bottom of the fleece so that now you've um, you know, just kind of repeated that rectangular roll, but the arms are still sticking out. And then I'll fold the arms and put like a one overhand knot, try to lay it as flat as possible, and that sort of contains the puffy jacket inside, right? And it's comfortable on your you know, face because you're not sleeping on that nylon. And then I'll flip it over so that the knot's on the bottom. And then that gets kind of tucked into the, um, the hood of my sleeping bag. And it works fine. Pillow making. Pillow making. It just like, yeah, if you, <laughs> it's, it's a luxury for sure to not have to do that and to have your you know, bitching little backcountry pillow. But I'm, I'm going to leave those four ounces behind. Game calls. Game You're calls. You're on a game call intensive hunt. Yes, definitely. I mean, it's one of the reasons I'm going on this hunt because I love to, you know, call elk. Um, Phelps bugle tube, four diaphragms, and um, really two of them are extras, but I'll bring two that are, you know, sort of softer latex, you know, e- you know for sweet little cow calls, and then two that are double triple reeds that are stiffer for bugling you know i i I bugle as such with you know loud a lot of intensity that even those you know triple reed diaphragms when you've been blowing on them for three four five days a lot if you're really bugling a lot to whether it's to get responses or to get a bull fired up or whatever they can start to soften up over a while and you know you, you hate to have one that starts to break or something you know as you're bugling so as light as the diaphragms are, you know, four diaphragms weighs nothing. Uh, the call I'll probably use the most over the course of a week is an external read uh, type cow call. Uh, Phelps's is called the Easy Estrus, and um, the read sits on a on a board, and then there's a little uh, castration uh, band that holds the read to the board, and then there's the um, I guess like the the tone chamber, the yeah. sound chamber that's attached to that. And I love those. Cause like, 
You can make them loud. I mean, so loud that I'll use them to locate bulls. Just make one or two big, loud cow calls like off of a point, and a lot of times you get a bull to answer to that. Um, and he's just a good American man. Phelps? Jason Phelps. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we like Jason. Um, and then your brother and I decided to bring in a uh, Montana elk decoy this year. Yeah. yeah. I would probably have not brought it in. And again, definitely if we weren't using, if we didn't have, if I didn't have llamas waiting for me at the other end, cause it's, it's a couple pounds, maybe even a couple pounds plus. Um, and if I was hunting solo, it's like, I'm not going to deal with it. Um, and that's a two dimensional. Yes. Yeah. It's basically, it's, it's like a printed picture onto like a, a stretchy, I don't know, polyester nylon blend or something yeah. that sort of sits over this frame that you can, uh, just twists down and it folds down into the you know a small little twelve inch package, but the stakes are what have some weight to them. Um, that that's what definitely has the weight to the decoy. But your brother's you know fired up on using it, so we're gonna try it out. And you're bringing some uh, you're bringing some eight by forty vortex knockers. Yeah, I'm going with the eights. Tidy little package. Tidy, you know, it's probably not that much lighter. If anything, then then the tens. Uh, I mean, it's you know could be a percentage of an ounce, maybe. I don't know. I haven't looked into it, but I like the larger field of view, the steadiness. I feel like with you know uh, bow hunting, you're always in. You're like a lot of times you're scanning like a hundred to two hundred yards of you know looking for elk in the timber and um, using one hand because you got your bow in the other hand or something bugle tube in the other hand, whatever you know. But it's just like it's steadier. Yeah. Know, more to study than any else, wider field of view. Um, and and it's just, not like you're trying to count annuli on a sheep or count brow tines on some moose two miles away. It's just like bull or not a bull. Yeah, exactly. Or where'd they go? Oh, yeah. there's a patch of fur. You know, their head left. Yeah. Um, on that note, not bringing um, spotting scope or tripod. And that's a huge weight, you know, drop. That's, yeah. um, I'm probably looking at like eight or nine pounds that I'm dropping out of the kit there. Um, for me, you know, going on this archery elk hunt, I mean, maybe it'll change in five to 10 years, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not even counting points. I'm like looking for a bull and that's it. So I need to just find elk, see elk moving. And even with eights, three miles away, if I see elk on a hillside I, I know they're elk, you know, and you keep, and you keep your binos and your range finder in a, in a FHF bino harness, it's got a little range finder pouch. Mm-hmm. So your range finder sits right next to your. Rangefinder sits right next to your binos, easy to get at. It's got little pockets on it, so you got some uh, a wind, little smoke in a bottle, wind detector. Mm-hmm. Basically, it's like taking a talcum powder and squirting it out of a little bottle, and it shoots a little puff up near, and you can see what's going on. Yeah, now invaluable. Yeah, and when, for when conditions close are right, range hunting. when conditions are right, it seems unnecessary, right? Because you just take your boot and stir up a little dust and see what it does. But oftentimes, you're in a spot where you know, if you're in an area that's just like pine needle, whatever, you can't get like a good wind detector. And bow hunting, especially trying to walk, like sneak in on elk, man, it's like the wind is the only, not the only thing, but the wind is like the, the main thing you're thinking about all oh, yeah. the time. All the time. And you got to pick your moments. It's like a mistake we used to make. And this is kind of why I wish I could like revisit a lot of the old, go back in time and revisit a lot of the old hunts we used to do. We used to just be like too eager to rush in and not like a lot of phenomenal opportunities slip through our hands from not taking time to just assess 
Yeah. And be patient. Yeah. Wait for the thermals to switch. What are the thermals doing, right? And like all that kind of stuff and just being like, well, let's take our chances and go. Or you get into it and you're 90% there and the wind changes and you're like, well, yeah, let's just trust our luck now. It's like, no. And sometimes you just get hosed, man. It's like everything's been going right for two hours and then there's just one gust that comes up your back and then blows them out. But it is nice to have that constant you know, I used to just use dust and seed, grass seeds, anything like that. But and, and uh, you know, another thing I used to do, which I actually loved a lot, I had done this a long time. I don't know why. I used to take a bird feather, mm. just any feather yeah. I'd find, and I'd take eight inches of dental floss, yeah, and hang it off somewhere in my bow in a safe spot. The only thing that kind of turned me off to it is you had to kind of manage it. Yeah, because it'll get wrapped up. Yeah, but man, like. If you're going through brush and stuff, it's going to get Yeah, down. but it used to be like now and then, I just love that thing because I'd have that little, I'd kind of like pull it out and hang it down. And on the limb of my bow, I had that dental floss and that bird feather. Man, you can get an accurate reading. But yeah. it gets wet. It gets tangled. But when it's like up and running, it was nice. It's just constant information yeah. that feather's giving you about what's going on. Did you know Rocket Money can cancel a subscription for you? They'll even alert you when there's been an increase in a subscription price and negotiate rates for you. I can see my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, Rocket Money can help me cancel it with just a few taps. You wouldn't believe how many people are paying for subscriptions they don't use. This happened to me. It's annoying. This helps you find it out and get rid of it. Well, Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions and monitors your spending and helps lower your bills so you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. That's rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. Rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were onto something because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. I want to tell you about an American-made success story and Black Buffalo's award-winning nicotine pouches. Black Buffalo was built by dippers with decades of smokeless tobacco use. Black Buffalo is all about the history and tradition of dip, but they understand the convenience and discretion modern-day consumers are looking for. Black Buffalo's nicotine pouches 
give you the versatility to consume discreetly, but keep the ritual with flavors dippers love. Mint, straight, and wintergreen, all proudly made right here in the USA. Tell them, Chili. The reason I like black buffalo pouches is, one, they're very discreet. And what I mean by that is I can throw one in and almost forget it's there. And I prefer the mint pouches. So if you're 21 or older, consume nicotine or tobacco and want to join the black buffalo herd, head over to blackbuffalo.com to learn more. You can order nicotine pouches online. They ship directly to most states or check out their store locator to purchase pouches at thousands of retail locations around the country. Black Buffalo Tobacco Alternative. Bold flavor, full pouches. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. Um, and you bring a little cloth for your binos. I think that's pretty important. Oh, it is, man. It's just like it may. Maybe you're not seeing any less with dirty glass, you know, lenses. But it just is like anytime I haven't done it for a couple days, and then you wipe them clean, and you're like, ah, oh. no, oh, yeah. It's like if you miss a day of brushing your teeth, and then you brush your teeth, and you get that same clean, cleansed feeling. Yep. Same the, thing looking through clean binos. The boys at Vortex gave me these things. I think I know they're available too in drugstores, but they gave me these uh, little white packets. Hmm. And what I like about those is when you get sunscreen or something on them, it's a way to get them off. I usually carry one of those in my kit, one of those optics wet wipes for sunscreen or any kind of other grease or any kind of thing that doesn't want to wipe off off them. But you can usually, with a clean microcloth, you can usually get them clean and back up and running into normal. Um, Another thing I like about the little wet wipe thing is when you get a lot of dust kind of in the, when the eye cups like spin in and out, you can kind right. of use it to clean everything out and keep them up and running. Um, butchering kit. Yeah, I'm going to bring a Benchmade Steep Country. That's the freaking knife, man. Yeah, God, we like love that. that knife. Yeah. Um, and that's the only knife um, I'll be taking. No multi-tool. Yeah, but what do you got with you for if you, if you screw something up on your bow and need to monkey with it? Do you bring a little kit? Yeah, a little r- repair kit, which will basically have all any size, uh, you know, Allen screw. Yeah, that's on the site, or you know, you know, any, any of that. It's all Allen. Yeah, but but I just feel like having like a little like the reason I carry is like how often do you need a little pair of needle nose? See, I was thinking that when I was packing, I was like, not that often, oh, especially man. when I'm holding that big heavy multi tool in my hands. Yeah. I like it because the little saw. I don't know. And all my, the, the Allens to, to, for my stuff, I have an adapter, so all those little Allens are mm. on my. Right. But no, I get it. I get it. But I just oftentimes, I oftentimes find myself like very happy to have my needle nose pliers. Even digging out ingrown toenails and whatnot. I just use them all the time, man. Well, I mean, it's, that's, I mean, the fun part about this is, you know, you go out there and, I get worked over because not having my needle nose, then next time I'll be packing them. Yeah, but it is. It's heavy. It's a very heavy little item. Um, you got a little mini sharpener, mm-hmm. which kind of you don't need because you're only going to be doing an animal. Big or, damn animal. Or two. Yeah, that's true. Or two. Two guys. Yeah. Yep. So 
We yeah. just did a trip where we did it's where so we chopped small, up three caribou. It's so small and so light. That little Benchmade yeah. mini field sharpener that like I feel like it's worth it. Yeah. We just did a trip where you chopped up three like doing a caribou a day and it was a sizable animal. You you're glad you got a sharpener. If you're going out and you're just like the most you're gonna do is you're gonna get like a animal or you're just gonna be doing a deer. I don't even you know, I don't yeah. necessarily worry about it because like if you got a honed up knife, it's gonna get you through that plus more. Um but it is really small. Zip ties for what reason? They're just nice to have. I mean, they're in my little butchering kit section because um, I like to put my tag on with a zip tie. Yeah. You know, Montana, it's kind of a big uh, carcass tag, and uh, I think it comes with holes, you know, yeah, kind of yeah, pre yeah. punched. I mean, obviously, you could use P cord or whatever. Um, but yeah, I just like a zip tie. You I, put, carry, I carry a couple zip ties in my emergency kit. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously, I a mean, you, small you, zip you could ties. fix. All sorts of stuff with with a cable. Oh, tie. they're strong. Yeah, you can you can fix backpacks and stuff with them. Um, and then tag game bags. Mm-hmm. I used to like, and I still like some aspects of them. Like, there's a company, Alaska Game Bags. I used to use all the time. It's like a disposable bag, and it's like a cheesecloth material. But flies can lay eggs through it, and right. if you drop that bag in the dirt, the meat still gets dirty. Right. It keeps out big stuff, but it doesn't keep out fine stuff. But they're inexpensive, which is nice, and you just they're disposable, which is like one. It's just part of like the disposable world, right? Everything that just gets thrown in the trash all the time is a bummer. But you're not like messing around trying to clean them. Yeah. And getting blood out of game bags is a chore. Yeah. So yeah, now I've settled in on using the reusables, the tag bags. It's almost like a silky kind of silky feeling material. And flies can't lay eggs through it, and you could bag up meat and drop it in the dust, and the meat doesn't get any dust on it. Mm-hmm. I think and they're you, reusable. I think if you drug them through mud and like we're like you know somehow pushing that through the material, you it would eventually like you know it would permeate and get through. Yeah, but, uh, no, more not, more protection though. More definitely more protection. Yeah, and, and reusable and um, easy to hang. Yep strong and then you get well you got to come home and i have to come home and i take a five gallon bucket make a mild bleach solution yeah soak them or take some simple green soak the sons of bitches a couple of times wash them in the washing machine give them the old smell test hang them out in the sun blood's hard to deal with yeah yeah definitely because you like think w- you got it you think you get it you think you got your pack clean and then it rains and it just reactivates that stuff and you realize you didn't get it clean mm-hmm <laughs> Hydrogen peroxide, man. Eats it up. Yeah. Gets the blood out. That's the that's the key. I don't use it on game bags, but on the pack I do it a lot. In a spray bottle? Yeah. Works good? Oh yeah. I hear people talk about it all the time. How much do you got to put on there? I mean, just spray it, you'll see it does the foamy thing and then rinse it off. Really? Spray it, maybe spray it. I know you guys are always bit. talking about using hydrogen peroxide yeah. to clean blood out of backpacks. Yeah. I've never I think tried the it. one thing you gotta be careful of, I think, is it's actually um it could be corrosive. To I think a fabric, you so, it, yeah, out. you wouldn't want to like 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 uh, spray it on there and leave it. That's why that's why on my backpack I don't like to use the bleach solution. Yeah, I'm afraid of dicking up the stitches. Yeah, uh, fifty feet of three millimeter paracord. I yeah. usually carry twenty five feet, but I use that weird expensive. I can't think of what it's called, but it, like makes it so it's like half the width. Now, Dyneema. Yeah, that's what it is. Oh, by, I think I didn't something know you like had that. that. Well, I got some of that. Shit's expensive. Dude, but it's like... Yeah. 
it's like the guy guy that's really counting ounces. It's like, well, well, it's extremely strong, right? Very thin, and I keep because the thing is, I'll depending on what kind of stuff I'm doing. If I'm really weight conscious and I'm not doing like, if if I'm doing like a not needing to be weight conscious, but in a very place where it's just very difficult to be, and there's a lot of like bushcraft kind of factors at play. Like river trips, for instance, right? Like a river, like a river hunting trip, where you're just constantly rigging and fixing and trying to figure stuff out, dealing with big animals. I'll bring extra paracord, knowing that I might be cutting it up and doing various things with it, guying out stuff, rigging tarps. But the reason I bought that that souped up material paracord is I would never cut it. It's just like a little teeny twenty five foot spool that I keep always in my stuff, mm. and then. Cause I know I got one length for like hoisting stuff up or any kind of thing. Right. And if I need, if I'm going to know I'm going to be using some, I'll grab some other like more conventional 600 pound paracord and carry it with me for, for, for just rigging. But I keep that one emergency piece intact. 25 feet. Good plan. Uh, yeah. Da- I'm forbidden for cutting it up unless it's a life death situation. Uh, cooking in water. You got a jet boil. One fuel canister. Oh, I was going to get, I thought of a little pro tip though. I want to come back to those tag game bags. Their drawstring is long enough where, unless your, your hanging branch or post is just, you know, super thick, I'm guessing like over, you know, six or eight inches. But if you've got something smaller that you're going to hang your bag off of, um, it's the, the length of cord is long enough where you can do a, and the pro tip here is that the knot that I eventually found and now use for this, and it used to this like it used to kill me. But I never had like a good quick release knot for like you know how some dudes or two people with an elk sometimes are holding up an elk quarter, and then you're supposed to be the guy tying, and then like you don't have a plan in your head for like the knot to use, and so yeah. you like you think you got something tied up, and they let go, and the thing just hits the ground. Or you do a, or you do a clove hitch, and you got to get back up in there and take all the weight off to get the hitch undone. Yeah, or you end up cutting it. So I found a knot called the uh, Siberian Hitch, or I think another name for it is the Evenk, E-V-E-N-K, Hitch. But uh, you can tie it. I can actually hold the weight, as long as it's not like a rear quarter on an uh, elk, and hold it. And then the way you tie it is it goes over, and then you, to create the loop, you basically keep two of your fingers out. And then the, your tag end goes around the line and you pull a loop through the loop that your finger, two fingers are making. And then you can just release the weight and it snugs up. Oh. But so it's slick because one. Siberian like, hitch. Yeah. You, I don't it's know slick because you can do it by yourself almost most of the time. And then it's a quick release. So when it needs to come down, you just pull the tag in and it's out. I like that. I'm going to look up the Siberian hitch. Um, yeah. So if you got, but if you, again, if you have a bigger, uh, you know, branch or log you're hanging it off of, you're going to have to add some P cord. So cooking in water, you got a jet boil, one canister, mm-hmm. cigarette lighter. I usually carry a regular cigarette lighter and then a mini dinky cigarette lighter that I tuck away somewhere. Mm-hmm. Cause it sucks to lose your lighter. Yeah, definitely. Or your lighter ha- bombs out. <clears throat> yeah. You got to have two. Um, another thing about lighters I like to do is I like to wrap, um, tape, yeah. All my lighters. Don't you identify your lighter so mugs you're with don't steal your lighter and just gives you like a little place to have some tape. Yeah, duct tape on one and maybe um, we had a stuff called gaff tape uh, in camera world and uh, it's uh, super tough, but like it, it, it's removable and you can write on it. 
Um, so I can have some of that stuff, you know, on it. And if you use a bright color, then you can always find your lighter. Yep. Uh, you got your drinking cup, long handled spoon. Now, anyone that eats house, mountain house, freeze dry, you need a long spoon. If you eat out of freeze dry bags, you want a long spoon. That way your knuckles don't get all full of, uh, pasta sauce. Yeah. It's key. You can get one, I think, uh, I think it's Cedar Summit makes it a titanium one. That's what I got, a titanium Super long Super lightweight, yeah. And, and in my little handy. kit, in my little backcountry organizer, like I organize all my small stuff in an outdoor research backcountry organizer, and in there, there's like almost a spot that looks like it was made for a long handle spoon. Yeah. And that spoon is just barely short enough, <laughs> or the, or the backcountry organizer is just barely long enough to hold that spoon. And I file two v-notches into the handle of my spoon and that spoon is called the double v-notch and that's how i identify my spoon mm-hmm. yanni puts a bright piece of tape around his which that, is kind of a better idea because it's because titanium spoons are like the perfect camouflage they are man they disappear uh one quart size nalgene wide mouth type bottle mm-hmm. so you can scoop up water in it um, a dromedary, it's like a big collapsible water bag. And that's like a really essential piece of gear if you got to go a long ways for your water source. Yeah, if you have to haul water at all, um, or if you know you're going to be spending time, you know, away from your water all day hunting, you know, up on the side of a mountain, um, it's key. I think this, they make a smaller, but I think the one I have is four liters. And it sounds like a lot, but obviously you don't have to fill it up. Yeah, but the, the small bag the sucks though. They make a lightweight small bag, but it's not durable. It'll burst Oh, out. yeah. But I think you can get it in the durable version. Can you? I think so. Oh. Yeah. But I, I do the same thing. It's like, I think mine holds two quarts. It's like a black material. Um, very rugged. I don't like, bl- I don't like uh, water bladders in my pack that you drink out of a hose. Because the hoses freeze. The bladders leak. You got like a frozen hose, so you can't drink anyways, and then all the stuff in your pack soaking wet because the batter, bladder burst. I mess around with those. I don't like those things. I think what happens even more often, or what happened to me so many times, is that like the mouthpiece, a lot of them have locks on them, you know, o- you know, to open and close. But you leave it open, and you set your pack down. Yeah. And the weight of the and pack that gets all your stuff. The wet. weight of the pack <laughs> presses down onto your mouthpiece, and it just slowly leaks out. Yeah. Not only is everything wet, but then you're out of drinking water. Yeah, I'd rather think about hunting and think about that dang bladder in my pack, man. Yeah. Those things drive me crazy. Now, the upside is, though, I got to say it's sweet to just always have that, you know, like a sip of water is handy. Oh, listen. Yeah, I didn't talk about the – I didn't. everybody knows the upsides. I think the upsides are obvious. You stay hydrated because you're drinking all the time. Mm-hmm. That's the upside. And just, it's you know, big, it's a big upside calling, you know, you're getting, you know, dry mouth, you know, and you're just like, Oh, little sip of water. Yeah. You drink away. You go, you drink taken for granted that drinking water is good. You drink way more water with a hose, but I've just had too many problems with those things to where I'm like, just don't use them. And I don't drink as much water as most people I find. Uh, Steri pens, which are kind of like the only thing we even use anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're always packing. I think it's Aquamira that makes the tablets. <clears throat> so we always have those as an backup in case. Because the Steri pen. It's a mechanical device, man. Yeah. It's got like, it's got a UV bulb. 
takes batteries, but you can keep the thing in your shirt pocket. I mean, they're mini, but it, it can fail. Yeah, also a pump can fail. Yeah, pump can fail too. So always yeah, if carry you, tablets. If you, if you like having super pristine, clean water, um, for instance, this last time we were just on, we the whole camp drank out of a uh, puddle. I mean, it was a puddle. It's like what would you call that thing? It's like like a not a sinkhole, but just a little a, hole in the tundra with some water in it. Yeah, like a little tundra puddle. Yeah, but like <laughs> bushel, ba- bushel could, basket. Even diameter. your even your kids could probably jump over this. Oh thing, yeah, right. Small, like uh, mushy, you know, muddy bottom. Lots of stuff floating in it. So if you if you don't want to drink water that has floaters, you have to pump. If you don't mind that, SteriPen's awesome. Or if you're just hunting near creeks and stuff, you know, that has clear water. Uh, you got a headlamp. Yeah. Black diamond headlamp. Yeah. And I was going to find the name of it and uh, I ran out of time, but super small, smooth, super lightweight, only runs on two triple A's. It's not like a mega beam headlamp, um, but it's bright enough where I've run at night with it if I have a fresh set of batteries, but you can dim the light on it. Um, is it called the Storm? No, the Storm is a bigger one. Might be called the Ion. You talking your little mini one with the retractable cord, or that's just no, no, no. That's my emergency one. It's the one that's got the little. It's like it's operated by by swiping and touching the face. Yeah, Yeah. yeah. you didn't like it, but it's it's too tricky for me. Super small, super lightweight. You can lock it so that it doesn't come on in your pocket, which I like. Um. But yeah, it's nice. And since we're on uh, headlamps, I carry one of those uh, Petzl E lights, which is I don't know the size of a three quarters of an ounce. Yeah, it's super lightweight. It runs. So if you took a stack of four or five quarters and stacked them up, that's about how big that little thing is. I keep one in my kit. Yeah, it runs on two uh, CR twenty thirty two batteries, and uh, surprisingly bright. Like I've had, I think you've even borrowed it once. We were on a as, hunt. You could use it as your primary light. Yeah. But now and then you get into like when you're out, you just get into some like crazy nighttime situations and it's, you know, it's nice to be able to, if you need to, work into the night. Yes. And not have, you know, not be buttoned up against the darkness. Then uh, you got an extra release. That's a thing, man. Like that's a real vulnerability. Very. And those things get lost. They do. Yeah. I haven't personally ever lost one, but I definitely had clients over the years that lost them and wouldn't even have a replacement at camp, you know? I had, to drove, I, I had one to... time hike out and drive 70 miles by release. Ooh, there you go, right there. Yeah. Carry the extra release. 70 miles to get a release. And they're not and like... And I couldn't find the release I had, so I had to start messing around. Yeah. Yeah. And shoot it, you know? I was... Uh, I, I put in my notes here to uh, shoot it because... You know, up until a week ago, I hadn't shot my extra release for probably about a year. And uh, it, it feels very similar, but it is different than my regular release. And you're, So here's a little redundancy. You're bringing some bear spray. Yep. And you're 44. Each of those things, like, like yeah, I see it. Uh, each of those things is problematic. Anyone who's been hosed by bear spray and a bear spray accidental discharge, which I have been done, it's like that makes you kind of hate that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'd rather get hosed by an accidental bear spray discharge than an accidental 44 discharge. The guy in Colorado was just like, which doesn't even have grizzlies, so I'll never understand this. Some dude in Colorado that's like scared of black bears. Mm-hmm. 
tripped over a tent stake in the middle of the night. He's going out to take a growler in the morning, trips over a tent stake and blows a hole through his own wrist with his, with his bear gun. I don't know. Yeah. Everybody thinks they're Rambo, man. It's like, yeah. Yeah, I feel it, it is redundant, but recently some, we, there was, I think it was one guy, I think two guys from Mall, they were together. Yeah. It, it, bow it, hunters in, are a high risk. Yeah, in group. Montana, and um, I want to say that one of the bear sprays didn't work, and that was the guy that ended up getting mauled. Yeah. The other, his buddy, you know, sprayed the bear. And uh, eventually got the bear off him, but the guy ended up with you know some ridiculous amount of stitches, you know. Yeah, but again, it, it neither of them are perfect. Nope, neither are perfect. It's probably good to have a little redundancy. The other thing is, uh, I can't remember the percentage of times, but oftentimes when when a couple of guys are hunting together and one of them's getting mauled, the other one of them, uh, the guy that's getting mauled, in addition to getting mauled, winds up getting shot. That does happen because people get panicky and they're not trained up in that kind of handgun use mm-hmm. yeah there's a- there's statistics they just did this big meta they just did this big like meta analysis of all these bear encounters over the years and what happened and who did what and what the what and people hate to hear it because people want to think that like people want to think that handguns are the answer to everything yeah right so when they did this thing and they come out and say like statistically pepper spray is better yeah, people get pissed because they act like you're like people get pissed because they act like this finding is somehow meant to be an attack on guns. Yeah, so people can't even like hear it clearly, right? But they're both imperfect. They're both imperfect. I don't know that the answer is to have both with me, but they're both imperfect. Yeah, and and speaking of, I think being smart. <laughs> trying in addition to everything else trying to be very aware of your surroundings and also knowing how to behave in the initial moments of a bear encounter right are very important like before it comes before it's where you're shooting spray at them before it's when you're shooting guns at them and whatnot there's like ways to behave in that initial moment right yeah, I and think- we have a lot of luck. You know, we got false charged by a grizzly, but we have a lot. We run a lot of bears off. Yeah, I think yeah, uh, just like the, being aware of the landscape that you're in. I think those tight, close quarters sometimes of like timber. You know, like if you're near a grizzly bear or something's you know about to happen, like give the bear space to move around you, right? Like don't get caught in that spot where especially if you knew, knew the bear was there that you're in like confined quarters you know with it like obviously you can just walk the other direction if you see one a couple hundred yards away you know yeah create yeah, space. If, yeah create space if it's far away if it's up close create space but not like a retreat it's like the thing like the minute before things are too tight to establish a very commanding presence yes a loud, big, tall, confident. If there's two guys, they're standing close together, establishing a very commanding presence. Yeah. You do not want to come here. I'm not coming at you. Like the human is not going at the bear, like he's going to go wrestle him. 
The human is not running away from the bear like it's a wounded elk running off through the woods, but the human is being like, I am here. I do not intend on moving. Right. Um, but it's also different, man. And you talk to people that do get scratched, and uh, sometimes it happens. There's no time to think. It's not like they like tried this and tried that. It's just all of a sudden there's a bear chewing on them. Yep. Um, but yeah, so you got your bear spray and your shooting iron and your bow and arrow and your GPS. With a I'm, chip. St- I'm still going to carry it. I know that now we can all have our maps downloaded on our phones. I don't like the battery life on phones, though. Yeah, that's the problem with it. You know, if I had this, if I was able just to pop in a couple fresh batteries into my phone, and again, I'll have a uh, the Goal Zero charger, which has two charges. And I know if I run it in airplane mode, I can get multiple days out of it, but I just don't trust it yet. I like being able to take a couple lithium double A's and throw in my GPS and have that thing on for 48 hours. Right. If I want. Uh, you do use a paper map. Yeah, and again, that's a redundancy, but, you know, again, the GPS could go down. You could lose it. And, and it's plus, nice to be able to sit and plot with someone else. Yeah, and just look at it big picture. Yeah, it yeah. does help you get up. It helps you, like, spatially. Even though you can go look at everything on a GPS, it's, like, spatially, it's sometimes nice to get a big picture view of where you're at. Yeah, and, you know, if I was hunting, um, an, like, an area that I had been hunting for five years, and just like a general zone that where I'd walked, you know, almost every trail or over every knob or, and just knew it. I wouldn't need a map. Yeah. You know, maybe wouldn't even carry a GPS. No, there's, yeah, there's a lot of situations where I wouldn't, but hunting like large new areas, I always like to have a paper map where the main place I think I'm going to be hunting, I have it built as the center of the map. Um, Wet wipes, but no teepee. Yep. Just wet wipes. And actually what I realized on this well, last I'll tell you why that's we- wrong. Okay. You can't burn them. No, I know. I know you don't like that, but I bury them properly. And then you bring bringing they, a butt they pad. Why are you bringing a butt pad? Like a sitting pad. Sitting pad? Yeah. yeah. All right. Keep my butt dry. Um, and I think it's multi-use, you know? You could use it to put, you know, food or, you know, work some gear out on, in, in, you know, underneath the tarp. It's nice to have, like, a, a second place that's off the ground. Um and then for taking a nap, you know, you could. It's like it's a little extra cushion in the woods if you're yeah. in a rocky. No, spot. I carry one off. But I just wouldn't carry one on that trip. If no. I was doing a glassing intensive trip, I like to carry it. Then it depends on the ground. I just had one up in the tundra, and I never used it because the tundra is so comfortable to sit on. Mm. But it was dry, right? So yeah, I do. Yeah, I do like butt pads. I like that little outdoorsman's back. That little outdoorsman's butt pad, and I got just the place on my pack where I can kind of wedge it in perfectly. So you got your hunting license. That's smart. Yep. Um, smoking a bottle. We already talked about that wind detector. You are bringing your phone just for snapping pictures. That's right. If you get a signal on top of mountain, you can check in. That's right. See how the kids are doing. You got a recharger. Um, how many charges can you get off on your phone off that charger? Two. So personal hygiene, mini toothpaste, toothbrush with the handle cut off, which I think is something people do that's silly, but okay. Uh, extra contact lenses, and then a little thing of Bonner soap. Mm-hmm. That pepperminty Bonner soap, dude, is a 
Yeah, when you're getting like itchy head and stuff after four or five days, that stuff resets the clock. Yep. Yeah, and you could use it, you know, or if you had like a major, you know, like a butchering session, you yeah. know, and you're just like up to your elbows in blood and you just want to clean up. Um, yeah, and it's oh, like I it's a it. little bitty, um, it's like a one, one use, like it's like, I don't know, it's like cardboard, but the inside's lined somehow. Yeah. It, it probably has. I don't know, close to a tablespoon of soap in it, which for Dr. B's is a lot. Oh yeah. Man, you hit uh you hit the uh nether parts and uh in your noggin <laughs> in a little creek wash, you come yep. away feeling like you've been back home for a couple of days. Yep. I love that stuff. So then then in your outdoor research, little backcountry organizer, you got a minimal first aid kit. Yep. My general first aid kit is uh like my general first aid kit is Triple antibiotic ointment, handful of band-aids, gauze, and med tape. Yeah, there's only so much you're going to be able to do, you know. I do have like a big wrap um, in there, and I have some of this stuff called uh, combat gauze, where, yeah. God for sake, someone did take a gunshot wound or a broadhead, you know, you know, across the arm. Or like, we basically, you have just like a, a major, major open wound. It's a um, gauze that you wrap or, or, you know, you, or you put on the wound and then wrap you know, your um, bandage around it, but the gauze itself has a clotting agent in it. Yeah, I used to carry the packets yeah. of the clotting agent stuff, but that stuff expires pretty quickly. It does. Like you'll have it in yeah, your you pack for a year and then realize yeah. it's all crystallized. Yeah. I had to buy a new one yeah, for this you gotta, If you carry it, you got to keep up on it. But yeah, if you had like a major blood incident, it's good to have, but if you're going to do it, make sure that it's that you're renewing it all the time because they do go bad. Yeah. Um, another thing, so, sometimes I have to carry with me. Just depends. Is um, depending on where I'm at, a uh, 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 EpiPen right. for anaphylactic shock, just because of certain insects and stuff. Uh, good thing to mention. Uh, I think there's like the small drugs in that first aid kit, or what could really help you and keep oh, you yeah. out there longer. Like you the other day gave me, I had like a started to get a sour belly when we were on Prince of Wales, and you gave me an Imodium AD, and one pill cured me. That's all it took. Yeah, I carry and for, and I I just buy boxes of the little single serves. Yeah, because they got a good protective coating on them. Yeah, I carry a handful of ibuprofen packs. Just little single serving things. There's a pocket in my organizer you wedge them in. A couple packs of ibuprofen, a couple packs of Tylenol, an Imodium AD type thing, and then a antihistamine. Antihistamine is a good one. Yeah. Type thing. And then I carry in my kit too. I was talking about in my little med kit. In my med kit, like I said, it's the size of like, it's smaller than a, much smaller than a wallet. A couple band aids, a couple gauze strips, a really small thing of med tape but also carry a handful of alcohol swabs to clean out cuts and again it's like it's like nothing you know what i mean it, yeah. it's like sounds like a lot added up but you put it all together it's just like a little it's like a little teeny plastic envelope and this whole thing fits into an organizer that's i mean how big is the organizer it's like a sandwich mm, yeah, bigger depends than on sandwich. how much you put in big, there big fatty yeah. sandwich mine actually if you if you if i uh overload it with things like um and it won't be for this hunt, but uh, let's just say for a, another hunt and put in like a uh, choke wrench and then the uh, the uh, boar snake for cleaning out a uh, you know gun if you happen to jam it in the mud or something. It can get over a pound. Like it, it can have have some weight to it. But for this hunt, it'll be roughly around a pound, you know. Um, 
But yeah, on top of the first aid kit, there'll be uh, the emergency survival kit, which, you know, fire starter. Um, in there, um, I have, uh, and I'm running the, uh, I have two fire starters, actually. I do have some uh, cotton balls of Vaseline, and then I also have these little, uh, just one of these, they're called Esbit fuel yep. cubes. And you but like the TSA it. guys will steal those. Yeah. So you got to be careful. If it's your main kit that ever goes everywhere with you, careful because they don't like them yeah but that thing burns i think for like 12 or 15 minutes like it goes it's supposed to be used in like a cooking system but it's a little cube and it, you just sit there and it like i forget like the heat that it produces but it's a lot but like in a, in a shitty wet you know fire building situation you'd have like a flame that just basically sat there for 12 minutes as you tried to like build a fire around yeah it. yeah no they're nice to have my kit is like i take one of dirt myths uh chew tins mm-hmm and it's kind of dual purpose because I take cat cotton balls, rub Vaseline into them, pack them in there, then put a couple cedar knots in there. Mm. And that's my like fire kit. And you got like a little Vaseline backup. And depending on where I'm at, I'll pull that thing in and out depending. Just general conditions. Like if I'm, you know, if I'm hunting down in New Mexico, I'm probably not carrying a, right? Right. Because a lighter is all you need. Yeah. Because, you know, you, you got, you're going to be able to pull it together. If you're in an area that's just like impossible, mm-hmm. Southeast Alaska, I got a fire kit. Yeah. Um, so it's just like, yeah, you got a lot of the stuff you just got to make calls on all the time. Yeah. I have like a little, there's like a little super mini compass in there. Um, yeah. I don't carry a, a big compass just, you know, in my pocket. So it's in there. Um, there's like a little lot a fishing line, a hook. Um, but again, it's super, super small. Um, but the other things in the backcountry organizer, uh, that like my spare lighters will be in there. The stuff called tenacious tape, which yep, is basically I carry a little piece of that. It's like uh reinforced nylon tape that, um, it's like a patch for if you rip a, like your outer shell or, you know, yeah, pro- I carry the patch jacket. form where it's like, basically it's like having a square of paper mm-hmm. in your bag. It's just one patch. It's like a two inch circle. That is tucked somewhere in my little kit, and you can fix stuff with it. Yeah, and it's good to have. And again, that's the kind of thing where, depending what's going on, you pull it in and out. Um, I do carry a little teeny baggie. You got it here, extra batteries. Mm-hmm. It's good to like line your stuff up, line your gear up to that it all is using the same stuff as much as you can. Yeah, unfortunately, I don't have that. I got triple A's in my headlamp. I got double A's in my GPS. And then the uh, stereo pen runs on the, uh, I think it's a CR123. Yeah, so I use a CR123 flashlight, and then I got my headlamp runs on a CR123 as well. So, I'm sorry, my, my headlamp and my stereo pen run on the same battery. And I used to try, I always try to bounce around and get it right. You always wind up with some outlier item that they don't make that way. But I generally like to try to like duplicate up so I got a couple extra batteries with me that work for various different things. Um, then you got orange flagging tape again, very small. You take like 10 feet of that and roll it up in a little ball. It's like the tip of your pinky finger. Mm-hmm. Great to have, especially hunting by yourself. You take a shot, hang that tape where you were standing. Yep. March over to where you know the animal was standing, hang a piece of tape. When you find first blood, mark that with the tape. Yeah. And again, it'll be redundant because now I pretty much do all of that with my GPS. But man, is it easier to look over your shoulder and be like, oh, there's, especially when you're like on a shitty blood trail and you're trying to figure out like a general direction of travel possibly. 
and you can look back and say, oh, I can see kind of like a corridor that the elk could have run through, you know, from where I am now, so, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. And if you're hunt, like, like if you take, if you take a 300 yard poke at something in rough ground, you like go running over there, which you shouldn't do. Don't run over there. Take your time, figure out what's going on. But you go over there, can't figure out what was happening, where it was. And then you realize that you lost track of where you were standing or laying down. That's when trouble starts. Because when you mark your location with something, the tape, whatever you leave there, tape, I like tape a lot, but anything, a piece of clothing, mark that spot. Because then when you go over there and you're like, oh, I think it was right here, but I can't find any hair, no blood, no nothing. And then you're like, where, where, where was I again? If you mark it, you'll go back there and you'll look and you'll remember it was right there. You need to like, you have to plan on worst case scenario when it comes to reconstructing something. If you got two guys, it's great because one guy stays put and one guy goes over there, and the guy that stays put can direct you right to where that thing was. If you're by yourself, you got to have a plan. Yep. Um, then you get, we already talked about a backup headlamp. And you carry a little mini thing of super glue? Yeah. I just feel like that shit be leaking everywhere, making my stuff all gluey. No, it's like a, you know, it's always a brand new one, this unopened. Um, and it's like a little mini deal it's it says one time use but i mean like there's enough in there where you could use it a few times but um cuts man or even like you know when you're working with blood a lot your hands dry out yeah and i'll get these just wicked cuts that will not heal and i'll just clean it out and super glue like oh i got a cut and i hear around people, it. You know, i've never tried it but i know people oh man do. it works oh yeah it works great all right so run, run down run down like your food for like backcountry hunting yeah super basic um Breakfast is going to be uh, it's this new uh, instant oatmeal we found called Umqua Oats, and it's like a hundred times better than the Quaker stuff. Man. Oh yeah, way Just less like it's like not like all nasty sugary crap. Yeah, yeah, this, yeah. The Quaker is like eating like a freaking candy bar, or, or maybe even worse for breakfast. And it's just I always feel like with Quaker, it's like thirty minutes later, I'm like, oh, I'm hungry. I should eat a bar. These umqua oats are, are legit. You can get ones that have like a mix with like quinoa and other grains and stuff in them. But like, no, eat it. It's good. Like I was skeptical at first, but it's yeah. very good, man. Um, but sometimes I'll have a bar in there too, or I'll have a bar soon on, you know, in the morning, and then uh, the Starbucks via coffee. Um, lunch and snacks, pro bars, and Snickers. Come on for uh, for the Starbucks VA coffee, I always like to carry a little non dairy cream or two. Mm. Just kind of guy I am, man. Yep, yeah, like your coffee white. Um, lunch. So I'm not doing any kind of sandwiches. I'm gonna have like a sandwich for day one. It's gonna be like heavy and packed packed in, but no real sandwiches. It's gonna be lunch is gonna be very snacky. Um, so I'll have like a little bit of salami, some cheese. Maybe like a banana and a baguette for the first day because it's something that's going to be eaten the first day and it'll be gone. After that, it's going to be bars, jerky, um, custom trail mix. That's pretty much it. Yep. Just going to have to survive on that. And then chicken bouillon keeps just for at night with hot water to drink. Yeah, or yeah, if it's cold and shitty, middle of the day, yeah, you heat, heat up some water, put a little chicken bouillon cube in there, and it's uh, yeah, it's very nice. And then for dinner, you're going with house. Going with house. Then you usually chase that with a candy bar. <laughs> and 
And then uh, I've been having a lot of cramps recently. And so I've been, uh, I got this stuff called noon electrolytes, which come in like a handy little uh, vial. I think there's 10 or 12 of uh, the deals in there. So I'm going to try to drink one of these electrolyte tablets every day. You dissolve it in water, you know, it gives your water a little flavor too, which is nice. But uh, try to keep my cramps down and my calves. And then a, uh, a stick of salted butter. I'm packing that. Extra calories, man. There's like few things that have more calories. Yeah, I like to per, put butter in my weight. house. Yeah. And then uh, also this time of year, you find a lot of bleats, and it's nice to have a little butter because mm-hmm. you find you find like legit queen bleats out there, you know? Right. One of the better mushrooms out. Um, then you got your first day food. Which is just your heavy junk, just start out right. Yeah. So I'll be, you know, yeah, it's like a it's like a heavier load. And I think you're roughly looking at two two pounds of food a day to get the calories that you need. Um so yeah, I'll I'll be looking at uh, you know, fifteen pounds of food roughly. But yeah, that it's nice to have like just normal food one more day until you just go into full on like barn mountain house mode, you know? Yeah. And we don't have to get into the depth here, but I figured just because we were talking about all this stuff we're gonna be carrying I'm gonna be carrying into the woods. I know people are wondering probably what I'm carrying for my uh bow and archery, you know, other archery equipment. And uh so it's a prime centergy bow. Um Easton full metal jackets, very heavy. Total arrow weight for me is like five hundred and thirty-five um grains, which is you know, well over a hundred grains heavier than a lot of people shoot. Uh, 125 grain slick trick. Bro- I've heard of that. What is that? What's that? The slick trick? Yeah. It's just a. Uh, it's similar to like the uh, muzzy. Gosh, which which muzzy is that? But it's basically like a. Um, imagine a field point with a sharp, actually a sharp, like chiseled point on it, and then it's got uh, slots cut through it. Yeah. And so you put a blade through it this way, you know. And then another blade crosses it. Like there's a slot in the like middle. You of this. assemble it yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So which is nice because it's got replaceable blades. So if I ha- so I can carry like two sets of replaceable blades, which I will. And so in case I like, so it's a four bladed. Yeah. It's a four bladed fixed. Four bladed Not fixed. Yeah. yeah. And um, yeah, super super sharp. And that's the nice thing I like about it. If I like happen to miss an elk, and you know, shot one into the dirt, I could just take out those two blades, replace it with two freshies, and I've got it. You know. Back Super sharp, yeah, ready to go. And then you got your release. Yeah. So I think it's called the Itty Bitty Goose Scott release. It's old. It's 10 plus years old. Yeah, I used old. to have those, and now I got one but of it those works. Uh, spot hogs, but I used to have that. I used to use that Scott release all the time. All right, that's Yanni's backpack, man. Isn't that exciting? It is, man. Yanni's going on a hunting trip. Hunting trip without Steve. He... I, I didn't even I, know, I, I didn't like, even invite Steve. That's because I know his schedule. I look at Steve's calendar every day, so I know I couldn't invite him anyway. To bring it full circle, I feel as uh, as as jealous as when my kid went fishing with another man. All right, man. Thanks for tuning in. Hey, if you follow wildlife news at all, you're probably aware that the island of Maui has an incredible abundance of Axis deer. So much so that they're causing ecological damage. Well, Maui Nui venison is thinning out some of those Axis deer herds and delivering venison sticks and fresh cuts to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I Venison.com. Use promo code MEATEATER for 20% off your order.
You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without your essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. Man, I was just in Hawaii and I had my Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie with me. And here's the deal. We're in and out of the water all the time, getting in to go spearfishing, getting out, taking the kids to the beach. I'm not going to mess around all day putting sunscreen on then having to get washed off. I just run a hoodie. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com slash PFG to shop their performance fishing gear.